and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the dry waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm. According, I will surely according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as being the author of creation, the author and finisher of our faith, the source of everything, even our lives, even the breath that we take. Father, it's good to be in your house this morning. It's good to be in your word. It's good to understand, Lord, that you are sovereign over every aspect of our lives and over all of creation. For that, we praise you. Pray that you would be with Pastor Toby this morning as he brings the word to us. May it minister to our hearts and may we be attentive and apply the truth of scripture in our lives so that you might be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Before we launch in, I did want to just briefly mention that if you're a member and you haven't responded to... um, the elder with the elder affirmation form regarding Kevin Shingleton uh, being uh, an elder, then I would encourage you to do so. We need those by next week, um, please. Um, and also, this is August. It is the month that we seek to intentionally show hospitality to one another. So I encourage you to do that, to think on folks uh, in the congregation. Uh, that you don't know as well, but would be good to get to know better. And uh, take, take this month as just an encouragement to do so, uh, but know that we really should obey that text all of the year and not just in one month out of the year. It's just the one month we remind ourselves that we ought to be hospitable to showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. While I was in uh, Guatemala, I had the opportunity to uh, share the gospel with uh, a young man from Nicaragua, and uh, he was curious about the Christian faith, though he would have labeled himself an atheist. Uh, He was curious about whether the Bible could give him a better life. More specifically, he was interested because I was there to teach about biblical counseling. He was wondering if things between him and his girlfriend might be better if they listened to the Bible. He didn't seem interested in the death and resurrection of Jesus whatsoever. He was just interested as to whether there was any advice that the Bible could give to help him have a better relationship. Uh, And at one point I told him this. I said, if I go to a buffet, I get to choose my own dinner. I'll take a little of this and a little of that, and a whole lot of dessert. And that's what I get. I go to the buffet and I do that. But growing up at our house, you came to the dinner table, and Dad set down the meal and said, this is dinner. Eat. Uh, I didn't tell him this, but I'll tell you, three out of seven days in a week, it was hamburger helper. Um, Which is why I don't eat this stuff at all anymore. Dad was a single dad for uh, four years, and so Hamburger Helper was an easy, you know, one-pot meal for the single parent. Um, But I told him, I looked at this new friend from Nicaragua, and I said, God is not a buffet God. 
He doesn't lay out all kinds of ideas for us to pick and choose what we like. We're not free to determine our own set of truths. God as it is a father, and he has brought the truth, the whole truth that we need to know of him and of life and of salvation and of Christ and all these things, he's brought it to us, and he sets it down and he says, this is the truth. Take and eat. And if we don't take all of it, if we're not prepared to take all of it, then we don't really have it. And I left him, he, he looked at me and he said, now are you saying that, that unless I believe in Jesus, I'm just going to have a rotten life in this life? And I said, actually, no, I'm not saying that. I said, but my, my concern, I mean, you could probably, you might be able to have a pretty decent life. I said, my concern is actually for you for not about this life. My concern for you is when this life ends. My concern for you is the moment your heart stops beating, when eternity begins. That's what my concern is for you. And I left him with this, Mark 8, 36. What, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Because the way that this young man from Nicaragua wanted to approach the Bible is not uncommon. It was not unique to him. It may even be in this room, the desire to get what we want out of God, to come to God on our terms, to take what we want and to leave what we don't really prefer. But dear friends, that is not how it works. We either come prepared to submit to all that God is and all that God has said, or we're not coming to this God. We're coming to a God of our own imagination, but we're not coming to this God, the God who has spoken to us in the Bible. And a proper understanding of God begins with this great truth. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Every other truth in the Bible essentially flows out of this one. Everything else comes after. If we cut this out, if we try to change it or ignore it, if we want to try to work around that and get to the morality that I really want, what we will find is that we don't have the Bible anymore. We have what we want out of the Bible. Therefore, we don't have God. And what we need more than tips, and what we need more than advice, and what we need more than just a path to walk is a God. And that is who God reveals himself to be, the very God that we need, the very God who has created us. When we begin to pick and choose, we're not taking God for who he really is. And who he really is begins as he unveils himself in these opening words. And today we begin a journey through the first 12 chapters of the Bible. Lord willing, it will take us to about uh, the middle of, October, middle of November with a couple of weeks. We'll, take, uh, we'll step out for our missions conference. But Lord willing, we will get through these chapters and we start here. I won't really get any farther than this today. 
I wanted us to read in context. In fact, you could do several things, several weeks, just pulling out, like, you know, a cotton candy, you can just keep pulling it, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You can do that with this verse. And so I had to stop pulling at some point because you would just get up and leave. I mean, this is just like we could pull on this all day. So, Lord willing, we're just pulling on the right places this morning. And there's more that could be pulled, and there's greater sweetness that can be tasted here. But we begin only with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as you know, every week I seek to come up with an idea that, that summarizes, and I only change things very slightly, because of the environment into which these words were spoken and written down, what we are to take away here is that God is the sole and sovereign creator of all things. The sole and sovereign creator of all things. And we're just going to think about that. That's what we're going to think on. First, the God who created. The God who created. Who is this God that Genesis 1 speaks of? It's a good question, but it's not precisely the right question. It's not actually the question that the original audience would have been asking. They weren't wondering if a God exists. In fact, of all the places that we might find arguments for the existence of God, the Bible is not one of those places. The Bible gives us no arguments for the existence of God. It simply says, in the beginning, God. It just makes a straightforward statement. Nobody's asking questions. I mean, in part because the Bible isn't man's attempt to explain life by referencing a supernatural being of some sort. The Bible is God's revelation to himself. And just like you don't begin a conversation with me by convincing me that you exist, God begins the Bible not by seeking to convince us that he exists, but by simply saying, I am. And he gives us no uh, watches to seek to put together, and he gives us no unmoved mover stories. I mean, there are plenty of fine ways to think about the existence of God, but God himself just says, this is me. This is who I am. Because the Bible ultimately isn't man seeking God. It's God showing himself. The original audience would have been the nomadic children of Israel. They had been wandering for some time. They had been in slavery in Egypt and had been rescued out. The Lord had sent Moses to lead them out. Now they're wandering around, gathering manna every day. And when they were to, when Moses was told, when they ask you who sent you, say this, I am has sent me to you. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. But what we have to understand is this is actually not unusual. In the ancient Near East, it was not unusual for nations to have gods. It was quite common. It was actually more unusual if a nation said they didn't. I don't, there's not really an, uh, uh, an, uh, an ancient civilization that didn't claim some type of god. And along with these gods would come their stories, how they created the world, how they interacted, how you can appease them. Uh, the Babylonians had a story of essentially the gods get into a dispute and 
One of the gods dies and falls, and his body becomes the earth, and drops of blood from the other gods become individual persons. What distinguishes Israel's story, the story that's handed to Israel from God, what distinguishes that story from all others is that here there is but one God. There is one And they were to recite it every day, this monotheistic confession of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But this God is not limited like other gods are. This God is not limited to a region or even a particular nation or a particular tribe. The God of Israel is God over all. In fact, the name of God used in verse 1, used all the way through the creation account until chapter 2, verse 4, is Elohim, which, is, uh, which can be at times used uh, for the false god, is a name that sometimes is used for gods of other nations, but here it is referred to the one God. It's very interesting because it's plural, Elohim, but it's always used with singular verbs. Now, the people of the children of Israel would have no idea what we say when we say Trinity. What they would understand is that this plural is a plural of majesty. It is a plural of honor. It is a plural that gives this God weightiness that no other God has. It is the plural of majesty. This God is who we worship. This God has created No other deity challenges Elohim's authority here. No other deity contributes to Elohim's creation. He is the sole creator of all things. So imagine yourself, you're at a campfire, you're you're in the wilderness, you're wandering, you're waiting for the next day, you're going to get the next day's manna, but you're sitting there and you know that this Lord Yahweh has made a covenant with your people to be your people and you'll you to be your God and you will be his people but now Moses has come and said this Yahweh is not just our covenant God he's not just about this nation he created everything and as the story goes on we'll see that every nation comes from him he ordained the spreading of the peoples and the making of the nations and the different languages. He's the one who has done it. So he's not just our God. You guys hear that? He's not just our God. He's the God. There is no other. See, that's why they must remember this, that in the beginning God created. God alone created. And if you are a Christian, this is your God. In Christ, the covenant that we just portrayed is ours. He has covenanted himself with us so that the acceptance or denial of other gods or other religious systems is not a matter of open-mindedness. 
Please hear that. It's not that we have our way and other people have their way and I'm just kind of cool with my Buddhist friend and I'm just kind of cool with my Muslim friend and I'm just kind of cool with my Hindu friend. Now, I am cool with all my friends, but I'm not cool with what they're saying, what they're believing. It's not that we live in our Christian ghetto and there are these other ghettos where other people live and there's the Hindu place and there's the Muslim place and never the two shall meet. Dear friends, if you call yourself a Christian, you can never simply be okay with the assertion of other gods. Because God has commanded you and me, you shall have no other gods. It's not just, hey, I wonder if this Jesus thing will work out for me. I mean, I've tried all the other religions. We'll see if this one's a good fit for me. No, 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 no. In the beginning, God created, period. There is no other. This is why God has to come back to the children of Israel over and over and over again. They start syncretizing and mixing in the religion of others with him, and God in Isaiah comes back over and over. I will share my glory with no other. I am the Lord, the Lord alone. Every morning they are to recite, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Think of how this shapes the way that we interact with our non-Christian friends who want to say that they're cool with any religion. But it should also control the way that we speak of differing religions. Because we're not in a battle to see whose opinion is loudest at the end of the day. Who can pound away at the other one? It's simply saying, this is what the scripture says. Unless we fall into the trap of calling other folks who follow other gods, false gods... Uh, demeaning names. Let's not forget that we were there. We either followed some other God or we followed the God of our own making and we just set ourselves up as God. And we were all there until the grace of God turned us around, opened our eyes. If two blind men are walking and one falls into a hole and one is out, The one out doesn't laugh at the one in the hole. They're both equally blind. If one gets two fall in and one gets rescued, he doesn't look back down and laugh at the one in the pit. Without the rescue, we would not be anywhere. So let us not say things that resemble foolishness more than wisdom to our friends. But this is Elohim. He is the sole creator. When did God create? In the beginning. Now, in the Bible, this word beginning doesn't always ring with the kind of weight that it does when we hear the phrase, in the beginning. Okay? Sometimes it's just speaking of the beginning of the year. This word beginning is used when, with regard to the first fruits offering. So it was the beginning of the harvest. 
But here in Genesis 1, this isn't simply the beginning of a harvest time or the beginning of a year or the beginning of a king's reign even. It's the beginning of all things. It's the beginning of the beginnings. It's the beginning of time. And this is significant that it is in the beginning, the beginning of all beginnings, because what it, what it testifies to is what is known in, in, uh, in systematic theology as the aseity of God. This means that God is self-existent. He is independent. He needs nothing. He needs no one in order to exist. That's what that means. So when we get to next week and we think about the creation of man, it's not because God was lonely that God created man. God hasn't been lonely ever. God is self-existent. God is independent. I mean, Paul will say it. We don't, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He needs nothing. He tells Israel, if I were hungry, would I tell you I own the cattle on a thousand hills? It means that this God that we read about is not the product of the imagination of men who want to explain their existence. That actually man is the product of the imagination of God who wants to display his glory. That's the proper way to think. So that in the beginning God created. In Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What God created. That's next. What God created. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This is what is called a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M. It is taking two things uh, that are on opposite places and using them together to speak of the totality. So if you have a rather large project at home, you may talk about working day and night to get it done. That's a merism. That uses those two opposites to speak of the totality of your life that that project is dominating. And here, God tells us through Moses' pen, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This isn't an exaggeration like working day and night. This is an explanation. It is everything. God is the sole creator of all things. Uh, Paul House writes this, If only one God exists, then that God must be responsible for every creative act. Every created entity derives its existence, its name, its function, its basic good nature, its limitations, and its sustenance from the one creator. Everything is derived. In fact, when, when you find this Hebrew word, barach, in the Old Testament, the only subject used with this verb is God. That's the only subject. Men make things. God creates things. Now, to be clear, and we want to be very clear because someone will come at you and you say, well, yes, but that Hebrew word created, uh, that doesn't always, that doesn't uh, in fact, it never means making something out of nothing. You read all of them in the Old Testament. It never means there was nothing there and something appeared. That's never what it means. It always means something else. In fact, it can just mean to uh, renew something. 
So God speaks through Isaiah the prophet, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of his lips. In other words, he will renew, renew life here. I make mention of that because some draw the conclusion when they read Genesis 1-2, which we'll come to next week. We won't only be in Genesis 1-2 next week, but we'll start with Genesis 1-2 next week. That when it says the earth was form, without form and void, they have this image that somehow there was a former world and it is ruined and God is just remaking it again. But this is untrue. Two things draw me to that conclusion. One, the original audience would not be concerned about where matter comes from. In the, in the ancient Near East, your God wasn't demonstrated to be really God because uh, they could bring something into existence that wasn't there before. The power of the God was demonstrated in control. This is why when uh, a nation would win a battle, they would proclaim their gods as great because they brought about the outcome of the battle. And so here, the original audience isn't thinking about where did this earth without form and void come in. But what is presented in Genesis 1 is a God who is in absolute control of the entire created cosmos. Everything is under his control. He speaks and then it happens. In other words, he's not only the sole creator of all things, he is the sovereign creator of all things. I wanted us to read farther. Did you hear what all happened? I mean, God speaks and then you hear this little refrain that comes back over and over. And it was so, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. So, but even then, before Genesis 1-1, we have no pre-existing material to say, oh, God just kind of scooped something up and made something out of it. So you actually can make a reasonable argument that this is what is called uh, creatio ex nihilo, uh, creation out of nothing. However, uh, as time progresses, philosophers come along. So, uh, Aristotle comes along in like the 4th century B.C., and he puts forward the idea that the universe is eternal. This is why, I mean, I'm just connecting dots, I haven't read this, but it makes sense as to why the New Testament goes beyond God just created all things, to be very specific, so that we read in Hebrews 11, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Colossians 1 says, by him all things were made, visible and invisible. So we come to these things and there's, it's progressive revelation. We get what we need when it's time to get it. It's like if you take home, you know, you have your little boy and you're going to uh, teach him about how, uh, you know, rubber balls work. Well, you don't begin with physics, right? You hold up the ball and you say, ball, ball, until he can say it. And then there is great rejoicing in the land. Ball, ball. And then you say, maybe you go bouncy ball next. Maybe you say pink ball next. I don't know, but you slowly but surely teach him 
to where when he's in 10th, 11th grade, or, you know, if you homeschool, second grade, you go into physics and... <laughs> Sorry, that's just fun. All right, so, but eventually at some point you just go into physics and you say, this is why the pink bouncy ball bounces. These are what, this is what these forces are. This is how it's measured. This is, what, this is what opposition does. This is what all these things do, but you don't start there. And the Bible is that way. It starts in the beginning, God. And that is, ex- that is expanded as time goes on. So in this creation account, the sole and sovereign creator creates matter and then creates order. He does both. He creates all things and he orders all things. And we'll look more at that next week. The God who creates is Elohim, superior to all others. He is self-existent before anything else existed. God from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. What did he create? He created matter and he created order. Now, why does that matter? I mean, can't I just think anything about the beginning and still be a Christian, still have a Christian worldview, still live a Christian life? Why does this matter? Well, in the, in the first place, before we get to anything else, I have a list of reasons why it matters, but first of all, the Bible tells us if we are going to be a people who believe in the authority and sufficiency of the Bible, then the Bible speaking to us that God created all things, that he created all things out of nothing that was previously visible, he created all things visible and visible, then our faith says yes. But there, are, there is more to it than just that. Because, like I said, everything else after this comes from this. The Bible isn't so much like an encyclopedia. Now, I know I lost some people when I said the word encyclopedia because nobody knows what an encyclopedia is. So if that's a word that's confusing to you, think Wikipedia in print that's written by people who hopefully know what they're talking about, all right? So uh, it's not a community project like Wikipedia. It's a research project, all right? And so there's this encyclopedia, and you can go to... uh, But none of the articles are of necessity linked to one another, right? I go to the one on volcanoes. I see that. I go to the one about the Aztecs. I read there, and I just, you know, I can read about all different kinds of subjects. And some think that the Bible is kind of like that encyclopedia, where you just get the articles you need, and I mean, the Bible speaks to all of life, but it's more like an encyclopedia. But the Bible actually presents itself not as a religious encyclopedia, and creation is not the first entry in that encyclopedia. The first chapter of the Bible is the first chapter of an unfolding story. Without the beginning of the story, none of the rest makes sense. I just, I'm about halfway through the second book in uh, a series, I'm reading some fiction for fun. It's called The Wingfeather Saga. It's quite wonderful. Um, I'm halfway through the second book. 
But if I had just started with the second book, I would have really no clue as to what's going on. I might be able to eventually find some characters and be, begin to follow them, but I don't have the whole story, and such is the case with the Bible. So let me just give you some examples. I had more, and I cut them down to this list. So when you think, will this list ever end, just know that I was thinking the exact same thing as I was preparing. But I think we have to be a bit overwhelmed here. First think about creation and revelation. Creation and the fact that it reveals a God who exists and a God of power. So that Romans 1 says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature that have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. There is this, God has revealed himself. He reveals himself through creation. Not in a way that leads us to salvation, but in a way that gives us a grasp of divine power, divine nature, his divine nature, creation in God's glory. Well, we read it this morning, didn't we? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's not that creation like looks out and says, oh, look, there's a God who's worthy of praise. Let's do that. It's that creation has found its origin in God and can't do anything else but declare his glory. What about God's creation and his care for us? Listen to Isaiah chapter 40. Lift up your eyes and see. Who created these? Who brings out their host by number, calling them by name? By the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Speaking of the heavenly bodies. Why do, why, why do you say then, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Because the power given to them is the power that spoke all things into existence. How dare God's people wonder if God cares? And then there's creation and humility. When I, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? We don't go to the Grand Canyon to think about how important we are. When we go to the Grand Canyon, we are in awe of how small we actually are. And if one little bit of God's creation can do that to us, 
What should he himself do to us? He has created it all. Creation and obedience. Did you notice what happened all the way through chapter 1 when we read it? We'll look at it again. Did you notice how nothing said, uh, not right now, later? When it's a good time, the animals will come out. God speaks, and it was so. Dear friends, that is how it must be with creator and creature. Creator speaks, and it is so with the creature. In fact, this is why we even know God as Redeemer, because we as creatures did not say, and it will be so, when the Creator said, let there be. That's how this whole mess got started. Because we rebelled against the Creator. And there are many ways that that happens. It is fundamentally because God is our Creator that we must obey Him. It is added on to that that He is our Redeemer. Therefore, we must obey Him. There is no place along the Christian life where we find a reason not to obey Him. If we believe in creation, we ought to believe in obedience. Creation and worship. Psalm 95 begins with a call to worship and then explains in verses 3 to 5, For the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry ground. Why is it that we ought to worship the Lord this morning? Because He is both Creator and Redeemer. Because He is Redeemer, we are enabled to worship Him. This is what Paul says in Romans 1, is it not? They knew Him. They knew Him. But they would not honor Him as God. They exchanged the Creator for the creature. If we know God truly as Creator because He has redeemed us and opened our eyes to see He is Creator, we worship Him for the, everything is His. Creation and Jesus' ministry. Just think. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Creator. John 1 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So even though Moses had no clue what was going on, what, he doesn't know the full extent of what he's writing about, which is, by the way, what will happen when he starts to write about marriage in chapter 2 as well. He just has what he's been given. In Christ, we see through the Apostle John... Here, Jesus, there's nothing, there's nothing that happened in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1 that Jesus wasn't involved with. And in Jesus, so, so it should be no surprise then that Jesus has absolute control over creation, right? Where he stands up and says, be still to the winds. 
where he takes diseases that are plaguing a body and says, I know how that body ought to actually work. No. Where created fallen beings, demons, invade humankind in the Gospels, and Jesus says, no, both are my creation and you will go this way. That even when death itself comes, Jesus overthrows that because he's the creator. Fig trees can get cursed because he's the creator. Deaf ears can hear because he's the creator. Blind eyes can see because he's a creator. That power resides in him. In Jesus, the eternal, sole, sovereign creator of all things took on flesh. Think of that. Took on matter that he created to limit himself, to come so that creation and salvation. He would come to die for us, to forgive us our sins, so that all of our rebellion against the Creator is forgiven. So that we are made right with God. So that when we say we will meet our Maker, we do still tremble with fear, but it is a confidence that when we get there, in this incredible, terrible, awful presence of God, we will actually stand and not be cast out. Because of Jesus, and that's why Paul will say to you and to me, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? A new creation. Because if there's anyone who can take who, the person who is dead in sins and make them alive, it is God himself. On the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection, by the power of the Spirit, So whatever hopeless circumstance that you come to God with, right? Whatever hopeless circumstance seems you seem to be coming to God with, I don't know how it will turn out, but there is one thing I know. However it turns out, if the disease stays, it is not because God couldn't take it. It is not because God has been overpowered. It is because God has other purposes in that pain. And if that all-wise, all-knowing, good, great God restrains himself to not make that thing flee, then we can trust that what he does is good. We have to believe that. Because you know what's going to happen in chapter 3? Everything is going to go rotten. And it will not be absent God's sovereignty. There's some, there is something more glorious in a fallen man being redeemed 
than there is in man never falling. And God does that. Last one, like I said, we could have done a whole host. Creation and hope. Our great hope, dear friends, is not in this fallen world. It's not in this place that is under the curse of sin. It is in the future, in the promise of God to make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And this, this hope, this newness for a place where there is no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain and no more death and no more sin, this hope is not just in vain. It's not pie in the sky. It's not, I hope it happens one day. It is certain that it will happen in the end, that we will live forever as new creations in new bodies, in a new heaven and new earth, because the God who created in Genesis 1 will recreate in Revelation 21. Our certainty for everything else in the Bible springs from this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Take a moment of reflection and then we will pray. Our God and Father, these are words that are too wonderful for us. We pray that by your grace we tremble anew when we read them, that we don't gloss over them, that we see them for what they are, that we hear their truth, that we see their glory that we long for the God in, these verse, in this verse, that we submit to the God in this verse, that our hope is in the God of this verse. Thank you for revealing to us your, yourself and your work. We pray that our worship in private and in public will grow in sincerity and joy as we think of you as our creator. That our humility will deepen as we see your creation. That we will long to glorify you. That we would never question your care for us. That we would continue to speak the gospel through which you make men and women new creations. That our hope of eternal life 
will be made more sure as we reflect on the truth of creation. Help us to believe that these words are not simply about a battle for intellectual ideas, but this is the battleground of the soul. Help us by faith to understand that you made all things and you made them all out of nothing that was previously visible. We thank you that though we deserve nothing but your punishment, you have shown us grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have in him, you, God, have entered into creation to redeem a people for yourself and to make all things new to bring things to their full and final and right and glorious end. Help us to trust you when the world around us seems to spin out of control. We are thankful to know a creator who is both the sole and sovereign creator. I pray for those who are suffering even now, walking through some trial. I pray that they will trust in your steadfast love, believing that if you will, you can bring healing, you can bring relief, you can, whatever it is they're praying, help us to submit to you, our wise creator, even as we pray those things. And now as we go from this place, we ask once again that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. For Christ's sake and in his name, amen.